and welcome to the second episode of I Am a Sophisticate and So Can You. So there's been a, um, we messed up, but yes. we're not apologizing. No, we're just being honest. Yes, because uh, the beauty is in the breakdown, but we, here's what happened. We did, we didn't do a good job audio engineering. Yes, we didn't because neither of us are particularly experienced. So we recorded what we thought we were going to think about Slater Kinney and Chinatown. Mm-hmm. And then we went away like we're supposed to do for this podcast and delved very deeply into those things. Mm-hmm. And then we recorded what we actually think of Slater Kinney and Chinatown. Um, and then we realized that the first thing is not is garbledy trash. So yeah, we, garbledy gook trash. Yeah. So we. So now, <laughs> in order for the format to remain intact, mm-hmm. <laughs> we are gonna try. We are going to attempt to tell you what we thought we were going to think about Slater Kinney and Chinatown. Yes, we're gonna try to remember our past selves, but th- this is the we do already know. Yes, and I think in the interest of respecting everyone's time, the most interesting part of this podcast, at least for me, is what did we actually get out of it? Yeah. So we'll give you the Cliff's Notes. We don't need to like reconstruct it entirely. Yeah. This yeah, will be yeah, briefer yeah. than most of those. Yeah. I, but I think it's but I think it's fun. I think it's a fun, important part of like whatever. Yeah. So um I thought that I I I thought I was gonna struggle with Slater Kinney at first, but that I was gonna be able to but that like eventually my ears would adjust mm-hmm. and I would come to have like a lot of respect for them but probably not like revisit them often. Yeah, and and I think I felt like I was going to understand more about grunge and similarly just yeah. like really respect it, but I don't know if it was going to be for me. Yeah. Just cuz that whole like grungy wall of sound has just historically not been for me. I so I think we both were like Yeah. Ah. I I I feel like I've had a few chances. One thing I I I would like to note is that that I, I think I said in in the in the lost audio is that like I have pretended about Slater Kinney so hard that like people have said to me, oh no no you do know Slater Kinney this is Slater Kinney and then put on a song and I've been like oh yeah 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 <laughs> and I I did not know it mm-hmm. and I haven't been like I haven't then heard that song and been like oh great but what a great intro that I pretend I pretended wasn't an intro, but it was. And now I'm going to go, you know what I mean? Like I've, I've had, I've had the chance mm-hmm. and I haven't chosen to go on a deep dive. Yeah. Oh, and I do think I said, because I think I say this in the future audio. You do. Um, do you know what I'm about to say? I think I am, but. <laughs> that I think it's going to be somewhere between, somewhere near Bikini Kill and Fiona Apple. That is what I thought you were going to say. Yes. Yes. Okay, yes. I'm pretty sure that I said that. Yes, you did. Okay, great. Is there Um, anything else that we thought? No, I think so. Both of us were like kind of lukewarm on Slater Kinney. We were like, like, we'll see. Like, like, like mad respect, like not, not dreading this listening experience at all, but also like. Interested in a very academic sense. Yeah, pretty intellectually. Yeah. Um, Okay. Chinatown. Chinatown. I thought I was going to think that it's. As I alluded to in the last episode, I believe, I thought I was going to think that it's stupid boy stuff. (laughs) Yes. Stupid boy stuff. That is a term that we will come to know and love in this podcast, I am sure, because it is something that we in our personal lives say all the time. Yeah. I think we both predicted it would be too long. Yes. I definitely said that I thought cars Mm -hmm. were going to play an important role either in terms of like a literal like like set piece sequence or just like in like a loaded signifiers of identity or i won't say that you called it but you there was a thing that you thought you were going to recognize yes i thought i was going to recognize faye dunaway being slapped in the face while going (laughs) she's my daughter she's my sister she's my daughter and my sister (laughs) yes and I believe you you also said, I think it's about water scams. Yes. We both yeah, I think we both thought it was maybe or I think we were both pretty confident that it was gonna have to do 
that like water was important. Somehow. Yeah, L.A. water, <laughs> the 1930s and 40s. That's what we know. Yeah, I will narc on myself that I wasn't sure about the she's my daughter and my sister thing. I know that I knew that that was something, but I wasn't 100% sure it was going to be this. Yeah, and I think the, the only other thing I knew from this movie is forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. Yeah, okay, which is also definitely more than I knew. But yeah, okay. And then time happened and now you will go to the past. Yeah, you will go to the future. past. Um, the audio is probably still not amazing. We definitely did a better job recording the audio in our first episode. But you know what? This is a learning experience for us. So in many, many ways. So I think our our enjoyment or not enjoyment without spoiling things of these two things uh-huh. uh, will still be fun. So with that, here you go in the future. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, what for you? It's been no time, but for us, we've we've lived a lifetime of um, listening to Slater Kinney and watching Chinatown. Yes. Um. Okay. I think we should say on the count of three, we should say together how much. I've. I. We live in the same house, so it's it's not like a secret. But let's just reveal to each other, like how much we liked or didn't like. Slater Kinney. Okay. Okay. After one, two, three, and then we say, okay, yes. ready? Okay. One, two, three. Loved, Loved it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, were you surprised by your reaction? I was. Okay. So was I. So I was thinking about it today and I was like, you're a lot more widely read in music than I am, I would say. I would hope. <laughs> Not to be. I just like, I do try. You make, you make a, a sincere effort. Yes, to um, know some things in music. Whereas I don't make much of one, but I can say that I have certain times in my life where I can remember where I was listening to certain bands. Mm-hmm. I remember where I was the first time I listened to Lady Gaga. I remember sure, where I was the first me time. too. Actually, I remember, I don't remember the first time I heard Just Dance, but I remember the first time that I advocated for it as like the future of pop music. And I feel like very, very proud of it. Cause it was not, it was just like Lizzo. It was kind of a slow burn. It was a rat. This is a total tangent. We should do a Lady Gaga episode. Um, well, we both know her quite well. Well, just bonus material for our Patreon. I remember very clearly being like, you guys pay attention. How'd she turn her shirt inside out? This is brilliant. This is where it's going. And I feel really like, I just feel really, that made me feel really in touch. Yeah. That I did yeah. that. The first time I heard Poker Face was not the first time I actually sat down and listened to Poker Face. Right. After I sat down and listened to Poker Face, yeah. I then listened to it three more times and then went and found the rest of her music videos. This was summer of 2009. Yeah, and Papa Fucker like, Face. What? Sometimes she says Papa Fucker Face. Oh, okay. If you just listen more carefully, she sneaks a couple fucker faces in there. And I just, she's she's the best. This is actually just a Lady Gaga fan <laughs> cast. Yes. <laughs> Similarly, like six months later, I listened to Depeche Mode for the first time. I listened to the song Lie to Me and I was like, this is pretty good. And then I listened to it five more times. Uh-huh. And then I listened to All of Some Great Reward. Okay. And, like I was into it immediately. Yeah. I will always remember being on my lunch break at work, throwing on Slater Kinney in my kitchen. And then within 30 seconds, just being <laughs> so into Being like, this is me now. Yeah, this is my personality. Uh, yeah, okay. So, it, it, okay, if we're coming at it this way, I will say, do you remember a few months ago when I had, I had an existential scare looking through my like saved albums in Spotify? I became genuinely concerned that my favorite band was Weezer. Yes, I do remember this. And I was like, it can't be this. Like, it can't be. But I'm looking at the data. I think there's a real concern here. I've since decided that my actual favorite band is the New Pornographers, which I think is a much more respectable choice. And actually, since that, I think my actual, actual favorite band might be Churches. Oh, with a V? Yeah, Churches. Um, But I think, so to have... And this is as opposed to musical artist, right? Like a band is a group of people who play instruments. And that's because I listen to a lot of pop artists. Bands are like a little bit like it, it, it leaves room for something catastrophic to happen. Like my favorite band is Weezer. <laughs> 
<laughs> it could be worse. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it turns out it's a lot better, I think, yeah. actually. So uh, that that is what a band is. And I would I would assert that your favorite band has to have a body of work, like a band that existed for one or two albums. Maybe you love those albums and you're glad that that band existed, but that is not your favorite band. Right. I, I think that it shouldn't be. And that's also why I think I, I was a little slow on on, on awarding Traverches that because their fourth album just came out. But I just think it's like for, for band identity, for it to be like, this is not just my favorite album by a band. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite band. There has to be journey there. There has to be evolution. Yes. And I am here to tell you that Slater Kinney is going to give you all of that. Slater yes. Kinney is here to be my my next favorite band and yours. Yes. <laughs> there's so there's so much there and the it's there waiting for you. There's no just like get on the 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 journey can start whenever you're ready. Yes, absolutely. I feel like you can jump in pretty much anywhere and get a very different experience. Like I was listening yeah. to one of their albums today, The Woods. Okay. Their last album before. I did not get to that one. That is okay. Uh, it is more of a psychedelic rock sound. And we should say it all sounds like Slater Kenny. It's just like, oh, here's Slater Kenny doing this. Here's Slater Kenny doing this. Yes, that's part of what I think is so exciting about them is that it's like, this is about selecting them as a possible favorite band. Yeah. <laughs> is they have such band identity and yet they've really like tried some things and moved through some eras, not just sonically, but meta in a meta way. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why I get, similarly, that's why I get so fed up with classic rock bands, because they either change so much as to become unrecognizable or never change at all. Right. Like, when was the last time you listened to a Rolling Stones song from, like, after 19... No, never. I don't know what, I wouldn't know what one sounded like. Right. I don't think I've, I don't think I've listened... I don't think I've listened to a Rolling Stones song recorded after like 1975, honestly. Yeah. There's just was, no, was, absolutely no need. I was given some leeway for like, oh, I didn't know Jumping Jack Flash was recorded in 82, you know, like. Oh, was it? No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, okay. I mean, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Or like sometimes things turn out to be the Rolling Stones that you didn't know were the Rolling Stones. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but okay. Slim Kimmy is one of those bands <laughs> yeah. where like you can always tell it's them. Yeah. And we should say what we what we listen to because their discography they've got I think they have nine albums now something like that. So there's like a few that are Slater Kinney origins that are pretty close. I feel very proud actually of my triangulation of between Fiona Apple and Bikini Kill. I think I nailed that. That is yeah. where they are. I just didn't realize how much I was going to enjoy that because I don't like Fiona Apple that much or Bikini Kill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it turns out. Mash them up, you get Slater Kinney. I love it now. Uh, okay, I did not have the experience that Anthony had of like turning it on and immediately being like, this is my new favorite thing. I did the first couple listens, I was like, I am doing this for a reason and I don't dislike it, but it's a little bit of some like foreign sounds to me and I just need to. But a lot of things, I have found that I can like a lot of things if I'm just willing to feel lukewarm about them for a minute <laughs> while I while I realize how much I like them. Yeah. So, okay, that that sound that I was learning to like, they have like maybe three or four albums. I don't know where the break is because I didn't listen in order of like punk, like girl punk, riot girl, quist, edges of the edge of grunge, yeah. Seattle. They have that. And then it sounds like they get a little more sort of like, Mm, we're in our 30s now. What do we do as musicians and do some albums like that? And then they break up for a while. For 10 years, yeah. Yeah. And then they return. And I really meant to listen to that, the return album, because I feel like you got to have a good reason to get mm-hmm. back together as a band. And then they have an album with St. Vincent, which I did listen to. And let me tell you, if you like St. Vincent, it's very St. Vincent. If you like St. Vincent, you should listen to The Center Won't Hold. It's like, it turns out what's missing from St. Vincent is Slater Kinney. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, highly recommend that. And then they have an album from this year that I just honestly couldn't bring myself. I've listened to a couple singles because Spotify is like pushing it. I just wasn't crazy about them. And so I didn't listen to the whole album. Yeah, I listened to like half of it. Okay. Um, Yeah, it sounds like a, it sounds like a very good album from a slightly different band. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's also their first one without Janet Weiss. Yeah, so they are a slightly different band. Yeah, exactly. But here's the thing. That's what a great band over time is. 
there's like different stuff going on and 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 you get to listen to all the albums and be like i i remember being 15 and thinking i was so smart for observing that the one there's like one red hot chili peppers album with the guy from the stone temple pilots oh (laughs) because their guitarist was in rehab or whatever so they just borrowed the guy from the stone temple pilots and it's like a weirder album because it's like neither of them but they're both there and i felt so smart getting to say that when i was 15 like i know it's not everyone's favorite album but it's just kind of really interesting because it's like there's a lot of that you can do a lot of that with slater kenny is what i'm saying (laughs) you can speculate about why it is the way it is and form opinions on it and there will still be parts of it that that you love yeah and so we we spent the most time with their third album dig me out yes which is on we picked it because it's on all kinds of like lists of greatest albums yeah and it's a good one to start with because it's their third album but it's their first one with janet weiss oh i didn't realize that yeah so i did a lot of not a lot but i did some digging on like band lore because i was really into it and because that's what i do when i when i like something i assign myself homework about it yeah my the digging that i did was just simply remembering that janet weiss is the name of susan sarandon's character in rocky horror picture show yes they apparently when they auditioned janet weiss because she wasn't even from the area she was like from san francisco and she moved up there they were like here is the lead single from our new album we've been working on can you come up with a drum beat and they handed her dig me out and i don't know if the drum beat that she came up with is what they used but they were like the drum beat that she came up with was so good that they were like done you drummer on the spot yeah i i am actually surprised to learn that because i i listened to the first two albums just once through and i listened to dig me out like maybe eight or ten times i wanted to do like depth on one of them i wanted to feel like i really like knew one of the albums well and it's i i did that with dig me out and when i listened to the other first two i i didn't i feel like the drums are important. I mean, there's only three, there's only three of them. (laughs) I feel like the drum is a, it's a big part of the identity of the band. And I'm surprised to learn because I did really enjoy listening to the first two. I'm surprised to learn that it was not the same person, but whatever she's doing on Dig Me Out is fucking brilliant, man. She's serving. It's so good. Uh, And Carrie Brownstein says that of the three of them, Janet Weiss is the most musically gifted, which I think is high praise coming from Carrie Brownstein. But that makes sense to me, though, because I think it's, well, I think probably what she means is the best technically at her instrument. This is a thing that I think is honestly like kind of cool about punk music is it's like you don't really have to be that great at guitar to be in a punk band. And I'm not sure that either of them are, but what they are, I don't know enough. I don't don't play guitar, so I don't know. But what they are great at is taking two guitars and deciding what they should do separately and then doing those two things at the same time in a way that feels like it's making a lot more sound than it could possibly yeah. be. It does not sound like three people. It does not at all. And and I think that's why I responded so much more to it than, than I have to other girl punk or riot girl bands. And I respect that part of the point is that it's like, we're, we're, we're yelling, <laughs> we're, st- we're throwing beers. Like we, like, here's a hook. Yeah. What more do you fucking want? I love that as a slacker person i love that but as a person with headphones on <laughs> i really like what slater kenny is doing mm-hmm. which is like how can we take these principles of simplicity and make something really layered with it yeah i will say that carrie brownstein as someone who has historically played guitar mm. that i do think carrie brownstein is a really good guitarist and particularly on the woods, there is one song that is 10 minutes long, because like I said, it's their psychedelic rock album. Cool. And four minutes of that is a Carrie Brown's. It's just her. Song. She's just crushing. Yeah. And it's really good. Yeah. It's, it's... That's also like when you do something for a living, do you know what I mean? Like maybe they started. Oh, yeah. It's with also 10 years late. Four chords in a dream. And then that's what she did all day, every day for 10 years. Like, like. Of course, she's good at it now. I'm wondering if Carrie Brownstein is like is like the, one of the geniuses of our times. I just feel like she's great at everything she tries. I think there's a colorable argument, as you <laughs> would say in my job. There's a colorable argument that she is. Yeah, <laughs> she is my favorite part of Transparent. I think also her name might be Sydney, which that's always points. 
in my book. But yeah, I just remember her really uh, starting out as like, oh, her, she's here. That's nice. I'm I'm glad we're casting her as the lesbian in things. And then by the end of her arc, I was like, Carrie Brownstein. Aw. Yeah. You okay? It's just cool that she, she can do that. And she's like, yeah, acting is my hobby. And it's like, she's in these things. Yeah. I said this to you when I first started listening to them last week. I was four songs in and I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to have a crush on a rock star. <laughs> yeah. Because that is how I now feel about Carrie Brownstein. And I don't mean that in a like, we should date, I must have you kind of way. Just yeah. like, I want to know like what kind of guitar does she use? What kind of like gear does she use? Yeah. Does she still live in Los Angeles? Did she move back to Portland? I just want to like know yeah. stuff about her. Yeah. I just want yeah. to be around her and be her friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and there's something, and just like kind of just like soak in the personal, like imagine... Okay, so there is a song on Dig Me Out that is a... Okay, so she and Corinne, Corinne Tucker were the original bandmates and they dated for a minute and then and then broke up and continued to be in a band together, which I don't know. It's like a common thing that people do and I don't know how I like can't imagine it. Even like, like Gwen Stefani. <laughs> or the White Stripes. Or the White Stripes. How do they do it? But there is a song on, um, I suspect there's more than one song on Dig Me Out about their breakup, but there's one that is explicitly so. One more hour. And yes. Song. And just like imagine singing back up about your own eyes. <laughs> like that's your life, man. Imagine doing that. Imagine doing that at such a professional level that like you can't not do it. And you get, you're getting like fan art about it i just like rock star stuff man it, mm -hmm. it boggles it boggles the mind yeah. so i will say i get that definitely about her and them and like the drama and the, the the gay drama especially and that's also part of why i wanted to listen to the um the one the album they made with saint vincent because i think there's also some gay drama in there yes because carrie brownstein and saint vincent also used to date yes i love that i love that she's just like just going around like breaking hearts and then using them musically um like good for her that's some rock star shit and i i appreciate that and there's but there is something there's something holding me back from her and i don't know what it is i think it might be fred armison yeah i but it's it's like i want over the last few days i've come to have so much respect for her and i am a little bit fascinated in the ways i just described about how her she turns her gay drama into music like anything juicy i just love juice but I don't, I'm not having the same kind of, I don't feel personally connected to where I feel like there's a, a just a, a curtain between us. And I, I, I can't tell you why, but I think that it has to do with Fred Armisen. The curtain's <laughs> name is Fred. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about, I like, I, I don't trust her a little bit. I think she might be, I think she might be a, um, unkind. I'm counting on her never hearing this. <laughs> Which I think is a very reasonable thing to count on from this renovated episode. garage that we're podcasting from. But I don't know. I, Carrie Brownstein, if you do hear this, like, I hope I'm wrong and I hope I run into, I hope we both, I hope I get super famous and I run into you and we just like connect instantly and, and we're pals. And I'm like, I was, so, cause I can be a terrible judge of character. It's happened before, but I'm definitely in, I'm deeply, deeply interested, but I'm not, there's something I'm like guarding my heart against her. That's, I don't know. It feels like there's, there's something about her that's inaccessible to me. Mm. Yeah, I wonder what that is. Yeah, I don't know. It's Fred Armisen. It's Fred, it's Fred Armisen. It's why do we you do like Fred Armisen? Fred Armisen? Why do you like Fred Armisen so much? I don't know. I don't know, but Natasha Leone does too. I, I don't get it. And that's and Elizabeth and Austin I, too. What? And I really want to be able to trust Natasha Leone's judgment. So I don't. This is hard. It's hard for me. And like, it's like I the back on Carrie Brownstein. I like that she turns her lesbian drama into music, but I'm also like. Is she always thinking of, is she doing a little bit of like the art comes first thing? Like the show must go on. Like I bet if I take advantage of this person emotionally a little bit, it'll make some really good music. And that is my priority. She just seems like she puts the music first in a way that's like, I, I, I don't know. But I, I, would, I would also point out that she and Corinne Tucker broke up and then did Dig Me Out, but they both worked on that. Like it wasn't just Carrie Brownstein. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And they have continued to be like very close collaborators for the following 30 years. Yeah, so. maybe she's just amazing to break up with. Maybe she's just like the best. I, I don't know why any of this even actually matters because we're really just talking about how much we like her band. Yeah, <laughs> her band is great. Yeah. Yeah, so highly recommend listening to Dick Me Out. Definitely. Do you want, I would just like to really quickly, I think you'll be shocked. I would like to reveal to you some of my favorite tracks on Dig Me Out because I think you're going to be really startled what they are. Sure. Okay, I'm going to give you three. I know that you're really big on One More Hour, which I get. I get that. Okay, first I'm going to give you one I don't love. Heart Factory. I felt like Heart Factory is like, what if Kurt Vonnegut wrote a Slater Kinney, or what if Slater Kinney wrote a Kurt Vonnegut song? <laughs> Like it, it has this like this like cautionary tale mm-hmm. kind of vibe that I am not interested in. Okay. Okay. Now I'm gonna give you three that I love. Okay. First, turn it on. Yeah. Good one. Okay. My that's I'm uh, I'm gonna pull a a, a lyric. This, this is I think I don't know. There's a lot of good stuff, but a central moment of it is they they say don't say the word if you don't want it done. Don't tell me your name if you don't want it sung. Yes. That's such a- like ugh, love it. That is what punk, punk rock should be a threat. It should be a weapon. Mm-hmm. Like they are, they are led, I just love it as an artist. Yeah. I love that they are like, I'm dangerous, man. This mm-hmm. is a, this is a dangerous form mm-hmm. that I work in and you shouldn't fuck with me. Yeah. Like I'm not going to physically injure you, but I will air our dirty laundry for. Yeah. And it's going to, and it's going to be so much worse. Yeah. Ask, ask Adele, ask Taylor Swift. And then, okay, no, here's where you're really going to be surprised. Buy her candy. I'm, okay, I'm not that surprised. Okay. I think that's a good song. I love Buy Her Candy. It's it's only like a minute and a half long. It's one of the simplest ones. And it is, if you're in the headphones, it is just two different guitar riffs, one in each ear. And then like, like a little bit of well-applied distortion. And I really like that it uses the phrase, she's a famous. I thought that was much newer. I thought calling someone a famous as a noun was a much newer uh, linguistic conceit than this. So that was fun to me. And I like the ambiguity of no one can say she is mine. Does it mean no one can say she is mine, the singer, or no one can say she is mine, theirs, anyone's? Ah, uh, yeah. That's some, some punk rock feminism mm-hmm. there. And then, okay, I fucking love Jenny. Oh, okay. Yeah, their last song. Yes. Okay. And I feel that what you close an album with, if you are a band, (laughs) as opposed to like Britney Spears, the track you close with, that tells me a lot about what you were doing with the album. Yeah, I agree with that. Like I like no nobody nothing ends up the last track by accident. So I whether I like it or not, I I I take into consideration. Oh, this is th- th- this tells me something about what your mission was here, what you were trying to tell me this whole time. And Jenny, I found okay. So it drew this line for me that I didn't even know I like needed drawing from like Lou Reed to grunge. Oh, interesting. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know that those, and maybe it's an accident, but it, it the, the way the song starts out is very Lou Reed to me. And then what it becomes is like exactly what I want from grunge. My favorite grunge moments are not like the really, I'm doing gestures, like slappy, like, like, I'll take it. But that's, I like when it kind of settles into like a moody, like, Sort of muddier. Yes, muddy. I want muddy grunge. And that's that's where Jenny takes me. And there's some really interesting, like, for just two guitars and drums and vocals, there's some really interesting, like, melding of sound that happens that I think of as, like, much higher tech. Mm-hmm. Like, I think of that as something that happens, like, when you're playing with computers and, and beep boops and, like, levels and stuff. And I'm sure they are playing with levels. But the some of the, like, keening mm-hmm. <laughs> that happens that, like, it's, like, it all starts to melt together. And it's, like, it, this is only, this is four instruments. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is 
a really great way to end the album. Yeah. When I was in college, it's going to get a little pretentious, but this whole project is going to get a little pretentious from yeah. time to time. That's kind of the point. Definitely. When I was in college, I took a class on, it was an English class about hip hop as literature, basically. Okay, yeah. And the professor said, particularly when you're listening to classic hip hop albums, it's a little less true nowadays. Back in 2009, he was saying, when you're listening to classic hip hop albums, you can listen to what he calls the frame of the album, which is the first song and the last song, and it should tell you something about what's going to come up in yeah. the album as a whole. Okay. And I think Slater Kenny does a really good job of that. Yes, definitely. It's, yeah, it feels it feels very deliberate. And that's another thing that I'm like, they're ready to be your favorite band. It's put together. It's a, it's a story yeah. that they're going to take you on. The album is a, an album experience. Yeah, and it's not a concept album. It's just like sonically thematic. Each album is like very closely thematically related. Like yeah. You can hear where they were at when they were doing all these things, and I really like that. It's not, it's not like some albums that you see where it's like, all right, here's four songs that all kind of sound the same. One of them is the best version of those four. And now here's our power ballad that's required to be in the... Like, right. They don't do fucking power ballads. No. Yeah, none of that. No. And even when they're being introspective, they're still like coming at you pretty hard. Yeah, there, but there is some, I, I recommend as you're, as you're getting to know them, as you obviously will take our recommendation very seriously, like read along with the lyrics because there's like, sometimes there's some punk rock mush mouth happening. But they like go for it sometimes. They they reveal of themselves. They do some like angry feminist stuff that I really appreciate. They do some like inherent <laughs> okay, this is it's gonna sound dramatic, but this is what I wanted to say. The inherent violence of being female. I feel like they're they're playing with that. There's some songs that are like uh, oh, oh, mm-hmm. oh goodness. Oh, goodness, Slater Kinney, but in a great way. And also a lot of songs about, like, there's a lot of songs that are kind of about sex, but not in the way that, like, R&B songs are about sex. Yeah. It's about, like, the right before. Like, what's what's the line? Sexual tension. Oh, God, which song is it? There's also a lot of songs about, like, being possessed and how that feels. There's, what's the, it's too hot in your hands yeah, it, it, there's a line, and I think it's in Turn Me On, where she says, when you touch me, I can't stand up. Yes. Oh, so Ugh. good. Yeah. Like, Steamy you as know fuck. What that, you, that yes. feeling of just like, oh. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's what I really like about it. There's there's also a song on Call the Doctor, their second album, which is also great. Yeah, I listened to it once, and I was like, oh, maybe we should have done this album. But I was already, like, committed to, like, Dig Me Out was already my, my, my pal. I like Dig Me Out more i'm glad we started with that one but i think call the doctor is fun because it starts off it's not as immediately enticing to me as dig me out but every song gets better yeah call the doctor i felt more of the like rage i think that i'm talking about and also and i'm 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 interested in in exploring that rage this is i it was not our intention to like the, the intended format of this podcast is that we don't know something and then we research it a little bit and then we tell you about it. But I feel like maybe you're going to get some like Slater Kinney updates as we like I said that I was going to listen to it for this and then kind of put it aside. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think I think we're going on into the world together. And this yeah. is who I am now. And so that's a that's a new segment that I'm adding to the show to future episodes. Is what's it, happening with Carrie Brownstein? No, what's happening with me and Slater Kinney? Like, what, 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 what else have I listened to? How am I feeling? Just like, just like a little update on: Are they now officially my favorite band? Are mm-hmm. we, are we saying fuck churches? And I think I am willing to say like the reason we picked them is because we had heard their name a lot in conversation as being like really important. Yeah. And I feel like at least for myself, I now understand why they were so important because it, and I am mad. I'm going to call out all of the alt kids yes. in the early to mid aughts yes. in Raleigh, North Carolina and Smithtown, New York. Slater Kinney's name did not cross any of your lips in my presence I, in well, the years we knew each other. Yeah, okay. I, I'm going to call out just everyone because I think that it's sexism. Yeah. Like, I think, I think it's like, if you want to be an influential female musician, you have to do it in a certain way. And this is not one of the ways. And if you want to be an influential rock band, then you better be a boy. 
and these are not boys. And I just, it's like, well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we can, it, we can't overestimate, it stretches so far how the music industry is willing to soak up female talent and ignore, and then not credit it at all, ignore the way that it has changed the entire landscape. Like there are, there are a lot of things that I felt like, not only do I like this and I'm mad that I didn't know, I'm because I, I didn't, I certainly knew before now, I don't know if I knew in 1997, but I knew before now that I was supposed to probably listen to this later, Kenny, but Hedwig, <laughs> like Hedwig obviously has to do with Slater Kenny. It's just like, it's everywhere. It's, it's tendrils are everywhere. And now that I've listened to it thoroughly, I can hear that. And you will too, if you listen to it, you'll be like, oh, all these other bands that are more famous, like the way, like trends in music that have happened since absolutely have to do with Slater Kinney. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And they're the kind of band that like, we could have been listening to them in high school. They were still actively recording and performing when we were in high school. Yes. If I had heard this band when I was, I don't know. Yeah, what was I listening to? Like the fucking Strokes? I wasn't even listening to the fucking Strokes. Like I, the Shins. I was listening to the Shins. I hadn't even had my like high school metal phase yet. I was listening to Cake. Like there is no reason. There's no reason. Who 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 served me Cake? Where was Slater Kinney? I mean, the Shins and Slater Kinney have performed together. They like share. Sure. Like they've been in stuff together. So like the fact that you got the shins handed to you, but yeah. you didn't get Slater Kinney handed to you is a fucking travesty. Yes, yes it is. I probably would have cracked my little baby queer egg a little earlier mm. had I had Slater Kinney handed to me when I was 15. Yeah, I probably would have because, okay, so I was a little queer kid and I felt like I thought lesbian music was the Indigo Girls. I thought it was Ani DeFranco. I have I have never liked Ani DeFranco and I thought that I just didn't like queer music because I didn't like Ani DeFranco because I didn't like warbly self-satisfied folk music. Mm-hmm. I thought that's that's what lesbians had to offer and that's that's not true. Guys, yeah. here's here's uh two maybe three I don't know Janet Weiss's sexuality. At least two openly bi women from the Northwest who yeah. are here to give you some fucking music. Yeah. Yeah, and I love it. Yeah, and it's like and the music is like queer energy. I just I yeah, I just wish I think I would have felt a lot less like alienated from Yeah, in high school my music taste felt I was like, "Oh, you either listen to what girls listen to, which I'm obviously not going to do because I'm not lame." <laughs> I, you know, I had a lot of, I had some stuff to work through. At the we time. all do. Yeah. So I guess I'll listen to the stuff boys listen to. And I listened to like, I don't know. I mean, I did okay. I listened, I went back for a lot of like classic rock that I'm like proud that I know now. But yeah, I don't, this was like not, this was, as you say, this was still happening and no one like, no one was like, this is what you want. And it's definitely because of sexism. Oh, Absolutely. And I think that's why I'm a little bit like, no, Carrie Brownstein is a good guitarist because I don't even want to like leave any guess that like these three are talented musicians. And I'm not saying that that's what you're saying. I mean, yeah. it's like for the listeners out there, these are three very talented musicians. I'm saying I don't, I don't care whether they are. Right. I'm saying that, and also I'm separating songwriting and song putting togethering from technical ability. And I, and I think a lot of, I'm going to say pop again, but this time I mean it like really holistically, like just like pop and rock, you know, popular music personnel would say the same, that it's like, it's really more about what's in your imagination than what your fingertips can do. That's also true in bed. But I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure they are really, I'm sure they are really good at guitar, but I'm saying it is possible to be a great band member, especially in a punk band. It's possible to put great songs together with limited and and like maybe you couldn't have gotten into Julia the, like a conservatory. Yeah. That's not always that's not always the the top priority as you're building skills. Yeah, exactly. And and you don't need to be like classically trained to be good. Yes. Janet Weiss is a self-taught drummer, which I think is awesome. Yes. All right. Is there anything else we want to say about Slater Kinney? I guess the question we have to ask, but I think everyone knows, is it canon? Yes, it yeah. absolutely is. 100%. And 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 we're going to give you updates. Yeah. 
Um, all right, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into Chinatown. Yeah, okay. Hello, and welcome back to the future. Now we're going to dive into Chinatown. Okay, let's say on the count of three how we felt about Chinatown. Okay. Okay. One, two, three. I liked, liked it. Liked it way less than I even thought I oh, was wow. going to. <laughs> Okay, wow. Didn't think I was going to, liked it even less than I thought I was going to. And we should um, just say at the top, fuck Roman Polanski, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And I think it's, you know, you want to be able to, to a certain extent, separate the art from the artist. I think that's important. But I also think that in some kinds of like auteur filmmaking, that's like, it's kind of hard to do. It's like yeah. he cast himself in it as a guy who gets to do an act of violence, which I think is so telling. Like that's yeah. his cameo is just like, like someone thinks that I'm short. Like we acknowledge that I'm short, but then actually I'm very dangerous. Fuck you, Roman Polanski. And okay, I need to talk before, okay. Because I've made them, <laughs> I paused the movie <laughs> at 30 seconds in. I didn't realize it was Roman Polanski. I didn't know we were watching a Roman Polanski movie, but I, do feel proud that as we were watching it, I was like, this feels like a Roman Polanski movie. Like, I feel like at this point in watching movies, I know what a Roman Polanski movie feels like. However, when his name came up, I was like, we need to pause it because I can't watch this movie unless I talk about how I feel like besides being a sexual predator, I also hold him responsible for his wife's murder. Why, why wasn't he there? Why wasn't he there? She was like 11 months pregnant and she had asked him to come home several times. And even if Charlie Manson's little elf still would have been able to murder all of them, then he should be dead with them. Why is he alive? Why is he alive? Mm -hmm. It does. He should have been there. It doesn't make any sense. And fuck him. I just think he's a little, I just think he's a little weasel for not getting murdered by Charlie Manson. Yeah. I think it's funny that when it showed up in the credits that he played the guy, he's literally credited as guy with knife. You you literally just went, oh, that tracks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's doing that You're bullshit. Like, that twerp has a pan-European accent. I wonder if he's Roman Polanski. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. If you have not listened to Karina Longworth's multi-part breakdown of the Manson murders on You Must Remember This. Just stop listening to this and go listen to that. And um, then come back. Yeah, and yeah, and then come back and be like, fuck Roman Polanski if you weren't already, because eh, just fuck him. Yeah. Okay, so I went in with that. I went in with that attitude. And I, I know that some people talk about this screenplay as being like one of the greatest screenplays of all time. You can hear me rolling my eyes through the mic, I'm sure, on that one. Yeah. I will say, and I was like, oh, this movie's going to drag because it was made in 1974. It wasn't fast, but it wasn't as slow and plotting as I thought it was going to be. Like, it was, I thought it was going to be aggressively self-indulgent, and it wasn't that much. I, I thought it was. I found it. I was pleased with how right we were on a number of things. We were right. It was too slow. I was pleased how right I was about the cars. The cars were great. I said something about how the cars were going to like be surrogate identities for the humans somehow. Mm -hmm. And that was indeed the case. I don't know how I knew that, but I knew it. And that, I mean, I, as soon as Rowan Polanski's name came up, I knew that I was right about like, oh, male brooding is going to be inherently interesting in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think it is. I found it hard to follow, not in the not in the sense that I didn't know what was going on, but in the sense that I didn't care what was going on. I found the stakes hard to like. There were a lot of times where I was like, "What? He's just curious. Like, why is this yeah, scene happening? They were because he is simply curious." Yeah, they, they were pretty inconsistent about that. They had that scene where they like try to justify it, where he's talking to his assistants, he being Jack Nicholson, the main character of the movie. Yeah, okay, so he's since you're not going to watch it because we're telling you not to, it, it's... Well, I don't know. I'm telling you not to. Yeah, I'll tell you mm, if you must. Well, we're spoiling it either way, but I'll try to give you a little bit of, just so you can follow what the fuck we're saying. It's, it's, a, it's a detective. He is a P.I., which I also did not know was going to be the case. If you want to watch it, I found it helpful whenever possible to just superimpose Kristen Ritter into his 
role and pretend that I was watching Jessica Jones. It's like, what is what is a PI to me in a post-Jessica Jones world? I don't care. So that's what we're doing. And he, there are some mysterious things, as in any, what, as is likely to happen to a private investigator, some mysterious things are revealed to him. Yes. <laughs> but unlike a lot of the sort of archetype of the private investigator, right, is that they don't want to be involved. They're like, oh my God, fucking what? No, ah, like, yeah. I just keep getting dragged into it. And there was some of that with like things get put in the paper. And But then I felt like there were times where he easily could have stepped away. And he was like, no, I got to be in my bonnet now. And I was like, that. those were the times that I was like, what are the stakes of this? He just has a bee in his bonnet. Mm -hmm. He just wants to know yeah. enough to um, have the actual Roman Polanski slice his nose open at a water farm. I don't know what you call that. And, Reservoir. And I will say that is one of the few images from that movie that I remembered. So I was pleased that like all of the things that I thought were in this movie were in this movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, and you were totally right about the, the, she's my daughter. My daughter she's my sister. That's when the movie really starts to get wacky. Yeah. That in the last, whatever, like 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That's when it gets, that's when yeah. It gets I mean, I liked Faye Dunaway's acting in that scene. I don't know. I don't know what to, I don't know what. I mean, Faye Dunaway's a good actress. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's like, oh, Roman Polanski wrote a story about a little girl getting raped by someone she trusted. Well, I don't write. know. Oh. Yeah. Sure. Um, Robert Town, I think is the name of. Felt moved to create felt moved to visualize a story about it. I don't know. It's just like, it's just like, yeah, let's get a bunch of, let's get a bunch of men together. Like what do they think is interesting to happen to women? Rape? Yeah. Rape. Oh, also. It has to be worse than that. By it's... her dad. Okay. Yeah. Let's, how can we heighten that? Like she was 14. Yeah. And there's a baby that's a teenager now that she's, who was raised in Mexico. Yeah. Oh, and she married her dad's business partner. Yeah. Why? Because he was nice. Is this going to end well for her? I just also felt like the water business, because we were both pretty sure it was going to be about water. <laughs> and it was. It definitely was. I just felt like the water business, I thought there was going to be an element of like Aaron Brockovichery. Not in the same like do goody. Like I didn't think they were gonna go around like fixing water, like finding like water thieves and bringing them to justice. But it was like, no, nobody really even actually cared about the water. <laughs> like the water is the MacGuffin, mm -hmm. honestly, of the movie. Like the water is just like a problem that is happening near them that smashes these characters together in a way that I found ultimately unsatisfying. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like they kind of lost the thread on the water. I think it was interesting to see like, oh, here is a story about how the San Fernando Valley happened. Like, yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, but it like wasn't. It, I guess it was. I guess it was. I guess it was tangentially. I guess that's how you, you don't just make a story about the San Fernando Valley because that would be dull. But I found this dull. I don't know. Okay, I also, I, I, I just, I wrote down a couple um, thoughts that I had. At one point, they pronounced the word Vallejo really funny, if Vallejo? that's interesting to you. Yeah, but I guess that's really, I guess we're all pronouncing the word Vallejo funny, if you think about it. I also wrote down after the, there's a, a, a sexy scene, and I just had, had a moment where I was like, remember when the sexiest men in the world had dad bods? Yeah. Like movie stars that everyone would salivate over mm -hmm. would take their shirts off and it would be dad bod. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, where it would be like sort of toned but also very fuzzy. Yeah, fuzzy. Yeah, fuzzy and like, yeah, like like a tone. Maybe dad bod is like by Hollywood standards. Dad, dad bod sure. compared to now. But like not, like now nobody gets to take their shirt off unless they are like, Shredded. Shredded. And it's like, I, I don't need that. I want, I want people with, yeah, I want people who just like sometimes run a little and then get winded. I want to see those people have sex in movies sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, also, I feel the same way about people's hairlines where like, like you can't be a leading man nowadays without a like full luscious head of hair. Yeah. But like back in the day, like 
Jack Nicholson, his hair is starting to thin in this movie. Yeah. Like, it's not where it was, but, like, you can see it. Yeah, and it's, it's, and it's just, like, doesn't he look distinguished? I have one more complaint about his his P.I. persona. I just feel like you, you, there's a, it's a, it's a specific thing to me, the, the, what I want in a PI. I want them to have, I want them to have better principles than they want anyone to know about. I want them to, that I want, I want that, that's, that's like the point of the, of the like Sam Spade figure to me is that it's like, don't catch me doing the right thing. Uh, like, I don't want to be involved. I don't, uh, I, I don't care. I don't care what happens. But if you're gonna rope me in, it's really important. I want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. But I, but no, blah, blah, don't get mushy on me. Like that's that that's what I want. And I felt like he was giving me like the opposite of that on both. Like I felt like he was like kind of a like not a great guy. Yeah. Like kind of a like sleaze mm-hmm. ball. Yeah. But then also. I think where I really got annoyed with him is he, he was also like a little bit of a prude. Like there's a, he like sits down to eat this head of a fish and the guy he's with who gets the tail of the fish suggests that he might be uh, sleeping with one of his clients, which he later does. Yeah. But like at that point, minutes later. yeah, <laughs> but at that point he has not. And he like throws his napkin and like gets up from the table and is like, what do you take me for? And it's like, I don't want a guy who's, a chauvinist and a prude like yeah. be one but don't be both those are the worst kind of people yes exactly and like yeah be i don't want you to be more like indignant i don't want you to perform more morals than you have i want you to perform less morals <laughs> like I, yeah. I want i want you to perform lackadaisical lackadaisicality yeah. And secretly have morals. Yeah, you want it to seem like you don't give a fuck, but secretly you feel yes, like Yes, and I felt like he was the opposite. He, like, acted like he gave a fuck, but he doesn't really. And that's not an interesting... Like, I don't need to watch a character that isn't invested or I don't know why he's invested or... I don't know. It's just... I don't know. Um, stupid boy stuff. Confirmed. Stupid boy stuff confirmed. Do you feel like this is one of those things, is this a good time to talk about something being important versus something being good? Sure. Because, like, I I feel like watching it, I was like, oh, I understand why so many people care so much about this movie. It's doing all of the things that cinema at the time, like, capital C cinema at the time was expected to do. Like, there's really good cinematography. Yeah, it is. It, uh, yeah, it's, it's very beautifully shot. If a boy makes you watch it and then asks you what you thought, you can feel free to say any of the things that we just said, but you should, yeah, you should say that the photography is really beautiful and that it finds a way to it follows a lot of like rules of cinematography but then is really like creative within them yeah like there's say say that to that boy and he'll and he'll fuck you probably won't be good but he will yeah like the shot where he's looking through the rear view mirror of the car and you've got the frame shot and then within that shot is the rear view mirror that's a circle and then you're following the person Sure. Yeah. yeah. That, was, that was really cool. Yeah. 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 That's very clever. I, I, there were just, there were a lot of like, like if you're ever, okay. So when you're watching it with this boy and you're feeling like, oh my God, this is so fucking slow. What's going on? Like there's a lot of shots of like cars pulling up to things or like people walking back to the cars. Just like take a minute. If you're like, why are we watching these people walk this way? <laughs> take a minute to like look at the thirds of the screen. Like they're probably really clean. Like just take in what else, like like I don't, I didn't clock any particular trick shots like the mirror. I remember now that you say it, but like mostly what I was impressed with the photography is just like, they're just like really beautiful, like well set up, like, like included a corner of this and a corner of that and like a splash of everything that needed to be there. Like, you know, everything is, everything, everything's where it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. And also the set dressers and props people yeah, yeah, yeah. did a great job. Yeah. All the cars look amazing. Yeah. Because this movie takes place in 1937. So there's like a lot of fun Packards with white wall tires and like yeah. it's, it's a great era for, for cars. Costumes are good. And you know, the thing that really rubbed me the wrong way about this movie was the last scene. It felt so yeah. wrong and also bad. Like it wasn't shot the same as the rest of it. It was like 
all like shaky cam and it, it's it like, like here we are finally in Chinatown are we gonna like it's a denouement are there gonna be answers or are we just is it just gonna be a bloodbath like I don't it just felt like lazy boy stuff and I mean that in the way that like there are there are there are man filmmakers for a long long time I mean it just was the case for a long time that like the most interesting choice you could make was just like a tragedy just like what yeah. what do we want to not happen just make that happen does it tie up the story is it satisfying does it bring a sense of balance to the is there like is it is it drama doesn't matter we want we want one more gross effect that our like blood pellets guy can do yeah and we want to feel like the wrong thing happened i don't know it's like it's like were we just not allowed it just always had to be the wrong thing happened for like years of like the 70s yeah i i really did not like the ending and i went and looked it up and i was like the ending feels like it was written by a different person and it was. Ah. Apparently, the ending was supposed to be completely inverted. Like, they, she was supposed to get away. Okay. Faye Dunaway was supposed to live, and John Houston was supposed to die. Okay. So, rich, lecherous father figure, horrible person, um, was supposed to die at the end of the movie. And then Roman Polanski insisted that it had to be a tragic ending. Roman. Just like you're saying. Fucking Polanski. John Town got so upset that he quit. Yeah. And so three days before shooting the last scene, Roman Polanski rewrote the whole thing. So that's why it sucked. That tracks. It was written by not a screenwriter, but instead a monster. Yeah. Three days before it was shot, which is why it looks bad and why like- Wait, sorry, what year actually was this movie made? 74. Okay, so he he has not, wait. What you're thinking of when he had to flee the country? No, the um, I'm thinking of the Manson murders. Oh, that was I think 69. Okay, so yeah, so his wife's already been stabbed to death. So that's that's all he wants, is wives getting stabbed to death. Or in this case, shot through the back of the head. Yeah. What, what also bothered Some me about it- Kennedy shit. Yeah. In addition to all of the, like, bullshittery of the last scene, the like, oh, and the bad guy gets shot in the arm. It's like, why? Why? He's yeah. a big, fat old man. Just shoot him in the chest. Yeah. You got him dead to rights. Yeah, it just feels like really, um, it just feels like really chaotic and, like, absurdist almost in this way that's like that's not that's not what a detective story is yeah detective stories are not like you can you can do that if you want if you want to be brecked but like that's not what a detective story is like we just did all this detecting Mm -hmm. and now here we are in this scene where like none of it matters and everybody's just waving guns and it's like like the right people get shot but like really harmlessly and then the good guys get shot really fatally like against the odds like as from hundreds of feet away from a hundred yards away yeah at night as they're moving away yes with a tiny pistol yeah with a little handgun like straight through the back then and i get that it's like well well can't catch a break but like i don't know and no i didn't like it yeah and this is nitpicky compared to all the rest of it but like how did those cops beat him there? He had at least a 20 minute head start on them. I, I didn't care for the movie. <laughs> like, I have nothing else. I, have, I don't have anything else coherent to contribute. I'm sure there are lots of why is it this ways. Yeah, I get that it's an influential movie, but like that doesn't mean it's fun to watch. And I feel like we're going to say that about a lot of movies that are on this list of like, just because something is important and a lot of people feel like it had a big influence on them doesn't yeah. mean it's still holds up. I guess, so there definitely is a difference between something being important and me liking it. But I personally would argue that this movie is neither. It's just something that a lot of other people like. And at what point does that make something, like like maybe we need a third category that is influential. Like at what point, what critical mass of other people liking stuff makes it important? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I don't I don't know if Chinatown is there for me at this point. Like let's take a survey. Did it change things at the time? Probably. Like did it did it move cinema forward? Like probably. But I don't that's not like, that's not know, really my job. Like I guess I don't know. I I guess that is I guess that is important in a way. I but we're we're about to talk about things that are important in in in, a, in another way and I just like want to draw the distinction. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I I think I I personally 
think that we should be okay with stuff being important to other people, but still not being canon for this show. Yeah, no, I am okay with that. I'm just saying that that the threshold to me of like importance is not just a lot of old white cinema nerds still like it. Mm -hmm. I want a little more than that in order to override my feelings about it. Like people you really respect have to like it. Or I have to understand like materially what what contributions it made to things being different and better. Right. Like Citizen Kane is not a fun movie to watch. Yeah, yeah. Like Citizen Kane is- This was the first movie to do these five things. Yes, that is definitely important. And a lot of old white people like it and I don't like it. Yeah. I'm saying, is Chinatown there? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure it's not, but I'm not sure that it is. And I think because we're, because, okay, so, well, so maybe we should transition. Okay, so that's Chinatown. It's not, it's not in our canon. It's not canon. The end. I would like to talk a little bit about um, some of the things that we're going to do in upcoming episodes. I suspect that some of the things that we're going to bring up in the next few weeks, it, I, I, I'm also not going to like them, but they're going to be important in this, like, social justice like they're very important like to this group of people representing themselves Mm -hmm. and that to me is so much more legit than like it's very important to white people who like 70s films do you know what i mean like that i i just like want to like bestow i'm not saying that i that i'm the arbiter of importance i'm just saying that that that's a different I'm I'm going to consider importance differently on on those kinds of things than I am on Chinatown because I just like don't know what Chinatown did for anybody who really needed it. Like who needed Chinatown? Like Roman Polanski, like a but like l- short guys with rape fantasies. Yeah. So what you're saying? I don't need to help them. Watch the sequel, The Two Jakes. <laughs> no, I, I think I think I think we can uh, I think we can pass on that. Yeah. Uh, so until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of I'm a Sophisticate and So Can You. Good night and good luck.